Welcome to episode 45 of the Walk and Talk podcast. I'm Greg Johnson, and today is Saturday, September 26th, 2020. The topic for this episode is Subaru Ascent, the last gasoline-powered vehicle. I want to offer a summary of this podcast episode here at the beginning, so those of you who are short on time or just want to get the overview of this episode can find out in just a few minutes what's ahead. So basically, the title is Subaru Ascent, the last gasoline-powered vehicle, which is probably, on an overview, would be considered to be a crossover SUV. So it's smaller than a normal SUV, but bigger than a tiny station wagon. Um, And what I'm going to list here in the podcast episode toward the end are all of the features and benefits that it offers, but it basically has good fuel efficiency, plenty of seating capacity, lots of storage capacity in the back with the seats folded down. It's a three-row vehicle, so it's almost like a van in that regard, Um, but with the seats folded down, it's probably has a, as much storing capacity as a small pickup truck, you know, one of those tiny ones. Um, it also has a lot of the touring features you'd want with the ceiling that's glass and all of that. Plenty of visibility, great fuel efficiency, 5,000 pounds of towing capacity, um, a four-cylinder engine that if you're cruising lightly on the pedal going on a relatively flat road at 50 or 55 miles an hour, you might get 40 miles a gallon or 37 miles a gallon. So it is touching on all the possible vehicle categories you can imagine. Performance, towing, everything. And the reason I call it the last gasoline-powered vehicle is because basically we're at a crossroads where electric cars are becoming more prevalent, more practical, more possible And so the Subaru Ascent really represents to me, I think, the culmination of many features, many benefits that one might look for in a variety of different cars, all bundled together in one vehicle. And I'll explain a little bit why, to me, in 2019, 2020, the switch over to an electric car just wasn't quite practical. But I think that in the next year, two, three, uh, electric cars will hopefully become more available from the primary auto manufacturers, Ford, Chevy, Toyota, Honda, those brand names where you can buy the car anywhere, get it serviced anywhere, parts are easy to find. Um, That's, I think, what people really want in a car even though some of these other names like Tesla have been floating around, um, people are waiting for it to become mainstream. So I would think that for me, if I were to be buying a car three, four, five years from now, it would not be a gasoline-powered car. It would be an electric car that has the features of the Subaru Ascent, but in an all-electric-powered vehicle. And that's what makes this the last gasoline-powered car. Well, let's get right to this episode 
And for those of you who are staying on, I appreciate you taking time to listen. For those of you who have to go, have a great day. And I look forward to hearing back from you in future episodes. This story is about the purchase decision that we made in 2019 when we needed to get a new vehicle. It was at the sort of crossroads of gasoline-powered vehicles being somewhat in decline when compared to the growth of all electric vehicles. There certainly have been hybrids for a long time, but those are not a significant departure in experience from a fully gasoline-powered car. You still have the radiator and oil for the engine and all the maintenance that goes with having a gasoline or diesel type of vehicle. So with the all-electric cars in 2019, it became more and more of a legitimate choice for people, a feasible, economically viable selection for people to make to get an all-electric car because the distribution centers were becoming more and more readily available. There were some spots where you could charge up for free and with an increase in sources of power such as solar or hydro or wind, uh, it became possible to have, if, if you're on that grid, um, low impact and low cost power if you've already set that up. So anyway, 2019 was a good turning point year, I think, for electric cars. And, you know, at the forefront of the media attention and praise, some criticism, I guess, as well, has been Tesla. And Tesla has really done a service, I guess you could say, to the electric car movement. And that is to build a recognizable brand um, and to build in some infrastructure in the United States where you can find these Tesla recharging stations uh, in many areas. And another player, quietly in the background, but very strong, has been Nissan with their Nissan Leaf. And so the Leaf began as really one of the first, and maybe continues to be, most viable and reliable and easily to acquire and easy to service electric cars because they're Nissan dealerships just about everywhere. So uh, that's a problem, of course, with some of the other uh, companies that are out there promising electric vehicles is that they just don't have the national network and infrastructure of dealerships or ways to sell the vehicles. And even with Tesla, there's some showrooms, but that's not quite the same as having someplace nearby you can take your vehicle to have it serviced. Well, anyway, between Nissan having the Leaf and in 2019 having bumped up the range on the Leaf and added a lot more features and still having many thousands of dollars in rebates available, and Tesla having released their $35,000 base model of their electric vehicle. Um, basically, 2019 was a year when people would really start to weigh whether or not they really wanted to get another gasoline-powered car or if 
you know, gasoline prices were going to be increasing. Uh, most recently, I paid $2.299.9 per gallon, almost $3 a gallon for some ultimate fuel from BP. So I, I know that regular fuel is probably 70 cents or a dollar lower, depending on where you're at. But in any event, you know, if you're putting lots of miles on, on a car and you're getting relatively low miles per gallon fuel efficiency and you're spending a lot and maybe increasingly more in gas, you know, it could really be a good choice to go with an electric car. It's sort of like, this is a little bit of a tangent, but similar. If you're building computers for mining Bitcoin, um, when the cost of Bitcoin, the value of Bitcoin goes up to 7,000, 10,000, you know, it's been really high lately. Well, then what you're getting back for Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies, it, because they tend to f flow with the Bitcoin value, is, you know, you're making this investment in a computer and it's producing maybe over 10 months paying for itself. And, and you know, in two years, you could be doubling your money. Um, now, that's just one computer and it's hard to scale that, you know, you can't invest $100,000 and then have $200,000 by the end of two years, because where would you put, you know, 100 computers, right? But anyway, the same is true for electric cars. As the cost of gasoline goes up, as the cost of electricity goes down somewhat and becomes more readily available, electric cars begin to be a better option and actually if you could say they pay for themselves faster um, if you're comparing an electric car versus a gasoline car that's using expensive gasoline and not getting good mileage it's going to pay off sooner uh, many years ago i was driving around a 1970s pontiac that was getting about 12 miles a gallon a big v8 engine maybe 16 miles a gallon on the highway and uh I was putting on about 300 miles um, per, well, it, it was about 100 miles a day. And then, yeah, over a month would have been about 3,000 miles per month. A lot of time on the road. And so the gasoline was about $300 a month. And I was able to get a Geo Metro. This would have been back in the early 90s. And got a Geo Metro, a three-cylinder. It was getting about 40 miles a gallon sometimes higher than that. So back in the early 90s, I was getting essentially a Toyota Prius fuel efficiency with this GM Geo Metro, Chevy Geo Metro three-cylinder car. And that paid for itself pretty quickly um, at a savings of, you know, well, actually, yeah, literally, the savings was $200 a month in fuel savings cost. And the payments were like 150 bucks for the car. So there you go. The car was essentially free then. In fact, month by month, my out-of-pocket costs went down $50 and I had a new car. So anyway, it's getting to be that way with electric cars. Um, it's not, you know, phenomenal because if you look at, say, the Prius getting 40 miles a gallon and an electric car getting an equivalent of like 90 miles a gallon or whatever, it's it's going to get, you know, a little further on your dollar. You still have the same cost of principal and, you know, purchase cost and the 
insurance and such. But anyway, so that's a long-winded explanation and context to say that 2019, at least from my perspective, was a year when an electric car might have been an option. And so I had a chance to talk to a Tesla dealer salesperson, a Tesla, you know, showroom salesperson, and go out on a test drive. One thing I noticed right away was that from the past few cars that I'd been driving, a Honda CRV, a Subaru Forester, a recent model Subaru Forester with lots of room inside. I was used to sitting up high and having lots of visibility. And so um, the experience with the Tesla, I, I think it was the Model 3, um, was that, you know, you're kind of sitting down low to the ground. Visibility is a little bit questionable. Um, so that struck me right off. But then in, in talking with this salesperson, I realized that our electric car charging options were basically, you know, household voltage. We weren't going to be able to put in one of these 220 volt charging stations. So the Tesla charges at about four miles per hour. Uh, in other words, if you were to um, drive four miles and run out of electricity and then charge up and wait for an hour, you'd get four more miles and then you could drive four more miles. So you would be traveling at four miles per hour. If you have the fast charger, it dramatically increases that. So you could be getting 12 miles for every hour of charging and that way you could be driving at 12 miles per hour. Now, of course, we let our vehicles charge overnight, right? That's what most people would do. Um, or I should say one lets their vehicles charge overnight. I have an electric bike, but no Tesla. But um, anyway, so still though, for somebody who does not have access to the high power charger on a regular basis, you'd have to, at some point, charge it up, keep it charged, and then, you know, tap it, top it off with this standard household voltage. So every night you'd be, you know, adding another four miles. So by the end of uh, a month, you'd add another 120. Hopefully you're driving in that period of time doesn't exceed what you're able to charge it at and maybe occasional use of the high high speed chargers if needed but um anyway that that all just kind of sounded like a little bit of a hassle you know so um i mean for around town driving probably it would be fine eight to ten hours of charging let's say per day so that would give you 40 miles of charging and driving per day so that's probably adequate um, and I think the math I did earlier is incorrect like so yeah if you can charge it and get 40 miles of driving after 10 hours of charging per night let's say um, so you could then in a month drive 360 miles um, anyway point being that you'd probably want to be able to have a high-speed charger. So that was one issue. And as far as the range for all of these electric cars, it's advised that you not 
let your car go down to zero. You know, you'd want to start considering looking around for some place to charge it once you reach about, you know, 20% because it's not good for batteries to have them drained so severely. Um, and similarly, it's not good for batteries to charge them up to 100%. In fact, the Tesla charging stations will start slowing down or tapering off the charge once you get to about 80%, uh, as I understand. So you really want your batteries to be in that range between, let's say, 20 or 30% and 80%. That's an easy 50% of the battery capacity, easy number to work with. So if the range of your vehicle says that it's, you know, from 100% charge to 0% charge, that you can go 200 miles, well, keep in mind, you're not going to charge it to 100% and you're not going to let it go below 20 or 30%. So, you know, maybe the range realistically is like 100 miles. And I was also told that repeated use of the, you know, extra high speed, high power charging stations would void the warranty or would void perhaps some repairs. Like if your batteries failed and Tesla has the data to know how often you charge, how much you charge, what, how much electricity you charge with, etc. If they can determine that you did not use the batteries in accordance with the appropriate practice, then they could say, well, the, the battery failing or shortness of life is not a manufacturing defect, it's a user defect, and you'd have to replace your own batteries. That's probably really expensive. Um, so, anyways, I, as I looked at the cost of purchasing a Tesla, um, and, and also this really for me, which was kind of a deal breaker, was just the the odd, you know, low to the ground kind of sports car feel. Um, I, I I used to find that interesting, like a a Mazda Miata or, you know, a Corvette or whatever, these cars you sit down in and you feel like you're, you're sitting on the pavement, like you're just way down on the ground. But as I've done more driving, I've found that I really much prefer uh, having a higher vantage point. I feel like I can see further down the road and I can be seen further down the road. So it just feels a lot safer to me for myself and for others to be sitting up higher. And that's something that the Honda CRV and the um, Subaru Forester provided for that. At the Tesla showroom in Kansas City, I was able to take a look at some of the other Tesla models, including one that is designed to be more like an SUV. But it was also a little bit cramped, lacking in good visibility, and wasn't really putting the driver as high up in the air as I would have preferred. And what I realized was that even though the Nissan Leaf is a good value, or the Tesla Model 3 would be a good value, you know, in that thirty dollars to $40,000 price range, that's certainly not an entry-level vehicle. You know, there's still cars brand new being sold for $12,000, like the uh, Chevy uh, Spark and, 
you know, Toyota and Honda have some subcompact cars, the Honda Fit and the Toyota Yaris. You can still get these in that sort of $12,000 to $15,000 price range. So while a $30,000 vehicle seems like a value if it's a performance vehicle or luxury vehicle or has, you know, all electric power, um, that's still, you know, twice the out-of-pocket cost as a vehicle that would get you from point A to point B and cost a lot less. So as I looked at even the larger Tesla, which was over $100,000, it just real, it seemed to me that it was impractical that a person who wants or needs something that's more like a SUV crossover or van that that just isn't available right now. There certainly are promises of uh, some of these larger all-electric vehicles that have higher seating position and more visibility and such, but those are not on the market today. And the Rivian is one example. They're working on a pickup truck and another uh, sort of suburban looking kind of um, truck. And those are going to be, you know, $60,000 or more. So while those might be available in the future, it's going to be hard to find service and parts and sales. And it's going to be an expensive out-of-pocket cost to get started. So if you're buying an electric car to save money, you're probably not going to do that by, you know, buying a $100,000 car. Um, and even if you're buying an electric car to save the environment, we, we can't deceive ourselves into thinking that these electric cars come out of thin air, that there's still a carbon footprint to build these electric cars. And if the practical lifespan of the electric cars is shortened by the rapid growth and change in technology and the wearing out of the batteries, then they become sort of like a disposable item, like an iPhone or something that you buy with the understanding that you're eventually going to throw it away. So all we're really offsetting our carbon footprint by would be the carbon footprint produced by the fuel being used in a car. I mentioned this in another episode, or maybe two, that my current electric-powered vehicle is an electric bike. And in Iowa City, the town is small enough that pretty much any shopping you'd want to do, or if I'm going to do some computer work somewhere, I can get pretty much anywhere in town on the electric bike. So spending, you know, $1,500 instead of $60,000 uh, made sense. And the average speed of pretty much any car, regardless of how fast it can go, um, the average speed is about 12 miles per hour when you figure in typical traffic and stop signs, stop lights, etc. from point A to point B across most towns, unless you have some beltway that you can take, uh, your average speed is going to be about 12 miles per hour. The electric bike that I have gets about the equivalent of 1,000 miles per gallon. So, you know, it can go 1,000 miles for $3, let's say, uh, if $3 is the price of 
premium gas. And a thousand miles per gallon equivalent to me is much more impressive than like a lot of electric cars that maybe get 100 or 90 or 80 or whatever. So what we ended up buying in 2019 was a Subaru Ascent, which was a new vehicle for them, uh, for Subaru. It was a larger version of the Forester, basically. And that's what brings me to the title and topic of this episode, which is the last gasoline-powered car or automobile or vehicle. Um, and the Ascent, really, the 2019 or the 2020 model, but it's basically, in my mind, the last gasoline-powered vehicle. And let me explain why. If we were to gather together all of the features that someone looks for in a vehicle, the Subaru Ascent has or touches on most of those features. So let's start with seating capacity. It has a third row, so you could comfortably get six or seven people in that vehicle. And if you went with the double bench seat option, then that might be eight people and maybe more if it's smaller people. So anyway, it's definitely coming close to being like a van would be, you know, people that would get a minivan or a larger size van to comfortably carry six people with some luggage, it can serve that purpose. And it also has the high position for the driver so that visibility is very good. And it has tall windows. And to take the place of or to address or make up for the fact that, you know, there's this third row and the visibility might not be too good if you have the vehicle filled up with stuff. Um, there's a rear view mirror that's actually a video camera. Very clear, very wide uh, visual perspective. So much be better visibility than a traditional rear view mirror. Excellent. Um, so visibility is great. So it's the kind of visibility you'd get with a sort of boxy, you know, car like the, the Forester or a, a car that has tall windows like the Forester. Um, so great visibility, plenty of capacity for people riding along. If you fold down those back seats, um, in fact, the second and third row, you could probably, you know, go around delivering surfboards in town or whatever. I mean, it has a lot of room back there. I was able to fit in some big screen TVs and other things that just would not fit in a smaller vehicle. So it has kind of, not, not quite like a pickup truck, you're not gonna throw bales of hay back there, but it has quite a bit of stowing storage capacity. And so it would serve that purpose. And, you know, that's the reason that some people would get a Subaru um, Outback or similar kind of station wagon looking car. Uh, to have that extra capacity in the back. Well, the Ascent has that. It has the all-wheel drive and the very high clearance 
that you would want if you were doing some off-road travel. Um, probably, you know, you wouldn't want to be too rough on it because these vehicles are a combination of sort of luxury and off-road, but still, you could do that. You'd have the clearance that has the X-Traction or whatever, X-Mode for the, uh, you know, driving on ice and through mud and whatever. So it's really a very good all-purpose vehicle. It's also turbocharged, so it has what feels like a lot of get up and go. Uh, if you, you know, give it gas, you're going to be the first one down the road, basically, um, because it, it has the power and the towing capacity for 5,000 pounds. And that was another kind of uh, deciding factor with the Ascent was that it could pull a larger camper, whereas the Forester and other vehicles typically only will haul like uh, 1,500 pounds, not 5,000 pounds. So if you're hauling something, great, you have the power to do that. If you're just wanting performance, great, because, you know, you have this powerful engine that's turbocharged, ready to pull 5,000 pounds, and if you don't have 5,000 pounds attached, it just takes off down the road. And it handles well, I think. You know, some people might say it's a little spongy. It doesn't handle the same as you know, an indie racer, it's not two inches off the ground with like zero suspension. Um, but it's, it's a good, I think, compromise that doesn't feel like a compromise between performance tight suspension and uh, luxury suspension. And it sticks to the road well. So handling's good, power is good, towing capacity is good, storage, plenty of seating room, uh, what other category? Oh, I mean, even to some extent, it's a fuel-efficient vehicle, or at least can be. It's all up to you. How much, you know, how far down do you want to push that gas pedal? Because if you go light on the gas pedal, and if you just kind of cruise down a relatively flat highway at 50 miles an hour, 55 miles an hour, some of these back roads, you can do that. You're looking at probably 40 miles a gallon. And if you're maybe on a little bit of some hilly uh, road or, you know, driving like 60 miles an hour instead of 55, um, it's going to be closer to 30 miles a gallon. It's amazing how much driving speed impacts fuel efficiency. But anyway, if you're going on a cross-country trip and you're taking some back roads, it's a four-cylinder. It's a super, you know, robust four-cylinder. And if you're just going easy on it, you can get some pretty good fuel efficiency. And then once you get up to like 65, 70 miles an hour, yeah, then it's going to go down to probably like 25 to 27 miles per gallon. But it's capable of high fuel efficiency. Whereas, you know, a big block V8 in a heavy Pontiac is not going to be capable of 40 miles a gallon, regardless of what speed you're going, you know, and would be such a gas guzzler around town that it just offsets any efficiency on the highway. So um, fuel efficiency, and that's why I say it's the last gasoline-powered automobile probably that I would ever be owning or driving, but it sort of represents the culmination of every vehicle we've ever had, you know, the Chevy Spark that has the three-cylinder or whatever, four-cylinder that gets... 
35 miles a gallon probably. Um, these big, you know, vans, everything you can imagine, the performance car. Um, it doesn't push the envelope in all these categories, but it definitely is represented or represents or serves these categories. So, um, and, and what more can happen with cars? You know, you have your SUVs, you have your crossover SUVs, which are like something between a station wagon and an SUV. And, uh, you know, sports cars, which we've seen come and go over the years. Muscle cars are sort of a recent resurgence that we're seeing, but basically nothing really new can happen in this space, as they call it, in the, you know, gasoline-powered vehicle space. It's all been done. It's all been seen. And this, to me, the Subaru Ascent kind of represents all of that. And it's, it's a great vehicle. What I would want next would be an all-electric Subaru Ascent, you know, basically have all those categories and advantages represented by an all-electric vehicle. And until that's available, I don't think I'd want to be buying another car because kind of what's the point, you know? Um, certainly wouldn't want to spend $100,000 on some makeshift crossover SUV that doesn't really serve a lot of purpose. I wouldn't want to do that. Uh, I wouldn't want, you know, the super economy electric car that's going to be too tiny and maybe not safe and not have the range that I'd want. And I, I, I would say probably in the next, you know, few years, we should see some changes in terms of range and charging time and the main auto manufacturers coming out with some really practical, well-designed, all-electric vehicles. So Ford, Chevy, Toyota, Honda, the cars that you can buy anywhere and get serviced anywhere, that's really what's going to make this take off. Certainly, you know, kudos and applause are owed to Tesla and to Elon Musk for what's been done to advance awareness, but it's really time now for the major manufacturers to get on board with this so we can move forward with electric vehicles. And then, you know, on the supply side of things, it's, it's just as relevant and just as integral is where does this electricity come from? So is that going to be some kind of clean new fusion nuclear power thing or more solar, more wind, batteries for regional storage of excess power? Uh, what, what's going to be driving the source of our electricity? And equally important probably is with development and efficiency of buildings and homes, that really needs to be pushed because otherwise if the electric grid is overwhelmed by too many, you know, electric stoves and electric furnaces and electric water heaters and in, inefficient um, lighting systems, then the electric car demand is just going to be one more thing that overloads the grid. And certainly, um, while we 
sometimes tell ourselves that there's really no limit to the human population that the Earth can sustain, we sometimes bump up against these realizations that, well, we are sort of running short on water in certain regions. And we're running short on other resources that are necessary to support happy living, you know. Um, and as we allow development to encroach in forests, then, you know, there are these fires that I guess most recently a million or two million acres have been destroyed by fire. So lots of homes getting destroyed. But yeah, so just, you know, unrestrained, unbridled, rapid population growth is going to make any vehicle, regardless of how it's powered, be sort of impractical because we can't just keep, you know, increasing and increasing, increasing the demand for the materials that make these cars, for the roads that they drive on, for, you know, it's no fun being in some super fast car when you're in bumper to bumper traffic. Um, and those are kind of the, the realities that you bump up against is that high population density in certain areas, certain cities just make it expensive and unpleasant to live there. If you talk to the people that actually do live there, they'll tell you that. Um, so anyway, but yeah, that's in a nutshell, what I'm waiting for is an electric version of the Subaru Ascent, or it doesn't have to be from Subaru, some, from some other company. I think it would be great if something like that became available because, you know, as I would say, two vehicles that would be wonderful to have on the market would be something like the Chevy Spark, which is super tiny, and then a multi-use, multi-purpose vehicle like the Ascent. If those could be made with energy efficiency in mind, I think that would really serve a lot of people's needs and interests. I think there are some other companies that offer a similar vehicle class as the Subaru Ascent, although, you know, if we're talking about the Honda CRV, it's just a tad smaller. So the CRV, the last time I looked at that, was going to only have two rows of seating. And so if you're looking for three rows of seating, you'd have to step up to the largest of the Honda vehicles, the largest of the Toyota, Ford, Chevy, etc., to get the third row, to get the extra towing capacity, etc. So at that point, you're looking at a more costly vehicle and a vehicle that maybe doesn't have the fuel efficiency that the Subaru Ascent can deliver. Any of these larger vehicles, I think to be, in my mind, acceptable for driving would have to have, of course, the rear view camera that's kind of common, but also a rear view mirror that is video camera based. I've avoided larger vehicles in the past, partly because of the fuel efficiency issue, also because they're just difficult to park. But in addition to that, there's the visibility problem. Large vehicles often have really bad blind spots, and if they're longer 
vehicles. And if anything is stored in the large vehicle, which is the reason you have the large vehicle, is to be able to tow, carry stuff around, you know. So when you have things in the car, you can't see out the rearview mirror. And it just becomes pretty dangerous to drive a big vehicle unless you have really good visibility. So even today, some of these larger vehicles don't still don't have a rear view mirror that is based on video camera view behind your vehicle. And because the Subaru Ascent has that, that made it, that, that really was like a deal breaker because if it didn't have it, I wouldn't feel comfortable backing up or pulling out or changing lanes or anything uh, if I couldn't have a good view of what's around me. The Subaru Ascent, I think, is sort of a crossover crossover. In other words, it's somewhere between a crossover and a full-size SUV truck kind of vehicle. It has that third bench seat. It has the extra capacity inside for storing things and hauling things. Um, but it's still small enough that you can park relatively easily. And it has some of the benefits of a crossover SUV that you wouldn't have in a larger SUV. So it's kind of reaching toward both of those classes of vehicles, category of vehicles, and pulling out some of the benefits of both the smaller and larger vehicles. It also places it in a position where other manufacturers have not quite delivered a product that meets those goals. There are other manufacturers that have larger vehicles or that have smaller ones, but it's like this in-between spot. One of the reasons why I refer to the Subaru Ascent as the last gasoline-powered vehicle is that certainly for me, I would imagine in three, five, seven years that the next practical vehicle purchase is going to be other than gasoline powered. So it's the last gasoline fuel uh, fueled vehicle that I would probably buy. And I think there are many other people who are in a similar situation. They have either a relatively new car that they know they're going to want to replace in the years ahead, or they have sort of an aging vehicle and they replace out their cars every 10 or 20 years and it's time to do that. And so, you know, a person who's looking at 10 years down the road, not knowing what's going to happen with gasoline prices and with the expectation that the trend right now seems to be electric cars are becoming more and more practical and available and the costs are dropping, that someone who makes those sort of long-term purchases would be looking more seriously at an electric car from here forward. Well, thanks for taking time to listen to this episode. I hope you found it interesting. I appreciate all the subscribes and likes and shares and comments, and I look forward to sharing more with you again soon. Take care.